What if I were to tell you that 90% of weekly users on Pinterest are using it to make a purchase decision? Using Pinterest to market and grow your creative business is a completely untapped channel for creatives, especially photographers. This is a platform that is completely built for images. It is designed perfectly for photographers. And if you're a photographer that's getting tired of Instagram growth declining and your followers getting throttled, Pinterest is an absolute powerhouse and probably your secret marketing tool for 2020. We've just released Pinterest for Photographers, a new tutorial where we break down how to use it, how to set it up, how to optimize it, and how to set up your analytics to understand how it works. This tutorial and every tutorial is on sale this weekend for Black Friday. Now I've got a special for you on this new Pinterest release. Not only is it on sale with every other tutorial at proedu.com, but if you buy Pinterest and use the code PINME, P-I-N-M-E at checkout with any other tutorial or master collection in your cart, you're going to get that other tutorial master collection for free. That's right. If you buy Pinterest this week through Cyber Monday, you're going to get our latest release on Pinterest and you can pick up any other tutorial. Sale is going on now through Cyber Monday at ProEDU.com. Thanks, and let's get into this podcast. Welcome to the ProEDU podcast, where Rob and Gary talk and drink with your favorite artist. So grab yourself a cold sarsaparilla and saddle up. Joined with Frederick Van Fucking Johnson. 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 I was really slowing that down. Yeah. I was going really slow. On I that. see what you're doing there with the Johnson and well, the fucking. <laughs> 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 That's very clever. <laughs> really, there's nothing else to say. No. <laughs> speechless now. <laughs> Cat got your tongue. <laughs> yeah, cat's told it. Well, yeah, usually. Not usually, actually. And we're joined with Felix Hernandez and Dennis Dunbar. Two guys who make unbelievable composited images, right? So let's talk composited photography. First of all, um, for our audiences who don't know you, and Dennis, you're actually a veteran of our podcast, so our audience might know you, but <laughs> if you guys would both just give us a little kind of rundown on who you are as an artist, what do you do, um, and the people who you work for. I add the Photoshop magic to images for movie posters and advertising. Yeah, straight up, advertising, movie posters is a big business. Yeah, I work on wide range of genres. Yeah, you know, cars, beauty, product, love compositing. Awesome, Felix. Um, well, me, I'm a graphic designer uh, based in Cancun, Mexico. And about uh, ten years ago, I started doing commercial photography, creative photography. And recently, about three years ago, I started working with. Uh, toys or scale models mm -hmm. and uh, as a personal project and maybe two years ago that personal project converted converted in commercial projects as well uh, working for brands uh, almost all, all of them car brands yeah. like Audi, Volkswagen, Maserati. That's so yeah, cool. Yeah, yeah. Nice. That's so cool. Very nice. So let's, let's talk a little bit about composited images and, um, and kind of their role in the world of photography. Um, are you guys creating images that are intentionally unreal or through this layer of compositing, are you trying to push a message that is um, kind of this hyper-stylized reality? For me, the projects I work on, it's a mix of everything. Yeah. Several years ago, I worked on a series of ads for some uh, Colombian clothing company. Mm -hmm. I think it was Arturo Calle, and they wanted backgrounds made that looked like surrealistic takes on different regions of Colombia. So that was intentionally making a, a, a fantasy image for it. Other times it's like compositing shots for ads for a mobile phone. And there you're just compositing like the best frames for the highlight here and the shadow there and you know the little thing for the logo. So it covers the whole range. Yeah, for me it's like mm, I try to achieve the most 
let's say, realistic look in my images because working with these scale models, I mm -hmm. try to, uh, either the landscapes or, or, or the models, I, I try to portrait them in, in so they look in a realistic way. But uh, I think I'm always looking in my images that they have like a kind of a more fantasy look. So it's a mix of, of, of both. Not, not, not uh, 100% realistic uh, in, in the feeling that they are perceiving mm -hmm. in that image. But uh, in the technical side, I'm always trying to make them look more realistic. Yeah. Dennis, we talked a little bit last night when yeah. we were walking to, to um, kind of destroy Puerto Rico and have fun. <laughs> 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 uh, we had a great conversation sort of about the, the evolution of compositing, you know, and, mm -hmm. and retouching and where that stuff has, where it was and where it is now. Can you kind of reiterate where, where, from your standpoint, where that point of inflection, where things really got interesting for you was? I was always interested in compositing. I, I originally learned from a uh, photographer who would do it by hand in the darkroom. Mm -hmm. So we'd have 8 by 10 copy film, thin registered, and you're using the enlarger to make it. Um, the techniques have gotten a lot, a lot easier now, mm -hmm. and the turnaround's a lot faster. You just get better tools that make it easier to get a more seamless, perfect-looking result. Do you miss anything about the, the way things were before? Um, I miss black and white printing from the aspect of like you spend a whole day in a dark room making prints, your fingers smell like fixer and at the end of the day like you miss I had a great flogging day. Flogging yourself, you miss that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. The thing that was funny was when I would get into the flow, I'd, I'd you know, be doing a print. Okay, I'm going to burn this one a little bit, dodge that one a little bit. And then at the end of the day, I look at like 20 prints like I don't remember what the difference was. Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. So Photoshop makes it easier to keep track of that versioning. Yeah. You know, for our, our audience, I think uh, we should give them a couple names. Like Jerry Ulsman, I think, is one of the greatest all-time uh, print masters when it comes to doing that kind of compositing in a darkroom. Oh, yeah. Uh, who are some of the people that, uh, that our audience should look up so they have an understanding of how retouching was done when it was in a darkroom? Because Jerry did wild stuff. I mean, he has houses growing out of trees, and this was done in a darkroom with zero computers. Oh, yeah. Uh, which is amazing. Who else would you recommend? Well, the... the the photographer I, I learned from, mm -hmm. uh, William James Warren, mm -hmm. he did stock imagery. In the heyday of the stock imagery, in the 80s particularly, he could make a dozen images a year and make six figures a year without yeah. trouble. And uh, so he did some really great stuff. I first met him, I worked at a place in Hollywood in the late 80s that rented out photo equipment. So all the top ad people would come and go through this. And he was one of the guys who shot ads for the rental house. And he had an amazing imagination. So the boss, Irena, who, who ran the uh, rental house, she knew that if she just gave William a fixed budget and then let his imagination run wild, mm -hmm. she'd get something amazing. So one of the first ones I remember was he created something called the Megatronic Camera of the Gods. <laughs> and it started off with a Pentax 6x7 camera body. Oh, great camera. And then he photographed, spent like a week grabbing props and cameras and stuff and shooting stuff. So he had handles from one of the old-fashioned video camera on either side. He put a screen on the back of it. He you know, had all this stuff on it, and, and we made this fantasy image of this camera that would do all the stuff and then spit out the invoice for you at the end of the day. And you know, it was purely just supposed to be tongue-in-cheek. When she ran the ad, she was getting letters from like Hong Kong, like, when can I rent this camera? <laughs> that's awesome yeah so I, I just started up seeing making up stories about about the images just to see how far along people would go with me I was like oh yes and next year they have one that's going to have a little you know be a drone you know early precursor of a drone it's going to float around and you just have a smart thing and you're just going to tap on it and you're like really like wow <laughs> he did one uh, the Grand Canyon where it's um, taken down at the, at the base of the Grand Canyon inside it and you see a silhouette of a photographer with a view camera and there are lights all around the rim. And people are like, wow. Well, it took him three weeks to rig all the lights in there. And then when he got down there, these over here wouldn't fire. It took him another two weeks to find the ones that wouldn't fire. <laughs> wow. <laughs> it, was like, <laughs> it was quite a process doing that. It, there's, there's, Jerry Ulsman was one of the first real influences on me. Um, I remember seeing the, his, his work and just being utterly amazed by it. I, I didn't even know how you could achieve something like that. And th that darkened process was really pretty fabulous. So we've come a long, long way from there. 
Yeah, yeah. We were talking about last night. We were talking about the evolution of Photoshop and version one. You oh know, yeah. In version two, pre layers and and all that stuff. Felix, what about your process? How do you how do you conceptualize one of your shots? Do you, do you start with a sketch? Do you start with no you know, words on paper and then just sort of articulate? I ha I have to do a sketch when I'm working with uh, you know. Um, uh, for a commercial project, you know, because the agencies ask for these uh, uh, sketches they want to see before what I'm going to do. But for most of my work, that I think is the it's it's the the one I most enjoy. Uh, like the sketches, I, I I do them in in like in my mind. Yeah. No, yeah. a lot of my ideas come from let's say from dreams. No, actually dreams while I'm hmm. dreaming, and of course I I take down those dreams and adapt them so you have a pad of paper next to the bed no 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 because I, I can't remember my dreams yeah yeah but there are a lot of techniques you know that 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 you can do so you can remember one of them is just having a notebook and a pen and just write them uh, but i just uh, kind of remember them at least the the last last dream i have in because we have a lot of uh um, periods of dreams while we are sleeping, but I can't remember the last two that I have. So no normally I base my work on, on that, and I don't I don't sketch. I, I, I sketch like in my mind, you know, and um, that's like for let's say the conceptual side, and um, then I just uh, look out maybe for some reference images if I have to do some kind of terrain or let's say uh, uh, an old wall with bricks and stone and all of that. I, I, I do a lot of research. I, I was uh, yesterday outside with uh, Dennis, like taking photos of uh, textures and wall and all that stuff, you know, just to have that there as an archive I could look for, uh, so reference. And then I have to, you know, try to find materials that can represent those real textures, but in, in miniature. And it has, it's a lot of um, trial and error, you know, going in studio, mixing different kind of powder, sands, and all that stuff, making grass, making water. Wow. It's a... Uh, it's model making and it, image. It, yeah. yeah, it's... it's uh, I, I'm mixing like three patient, passions there. It's the model making, the photography, and the digital manipulation, okay? Mm -hmm. To tell stories, because since I was a little kid, I what I remember is that I love playing, but to to bring alive my you know my 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 stories yeah. through playing. So now I'm like now I'm now I'm doing the same, but with a camera in my hands. Have so you have you considered adding sure. adding motion or anything? Yeah, of course. I think uh, that will be this next normal step. Mm -hmm. Maybe in one year, two years more. I'm working right now in some uh, ideas, uh, mm -hmm. some concepts to do a motion. Yeah, yeah. that's cool. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. How long does it take for you to take your idea from being this dream in your head to actually having the final image? When you are looking for textures and you're building the models and then changing components of it and then getting into post-production, what, what's that period of time like? Well, n now it's 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 much much faster because uh, back then, before I was doing these things with the scale models, I had an idea. And some of those ideas were very uh, difficult to produce. You know, if you want to put, an, for example, an elephant in the water, <laughs> it's going to be tough. And I wanted to do something uh, for real because, okay, I'm working with scale models, but they are real, you know? And I love Photoshop, but I love to uh, achieve in camera the most uh, things for real. So three years ago that I started working with uh, scale models, like everything is going faster because now I can bring something, for example, an elephant in the water, and I just have to buy, you know, a nice replica or toy or build something, and I just I just go to a studio and, and shoot it. Okay, sometimes can take a week for a, let's say an easy scene. Sometimes it's a month because you have to build all all all, all the set. No, mm -hmm. pre-production is the most uh, time-consuming. Why why not uh, why not use 3D software and and models that you can purchase and render. You know, it could be. I love also 3D, but uh, I love to to you know have the physical uh, object in my hand. And now in a world that you know everybody is doing 3D, mm, some way uh, how you can stand uh, up, stand out, no, from what everyone else is doing. I think is uh, like 
returning to the basics when there was no 3D, you know, like a Star Wars. Uh, I was just uh, thinking yeah, that Star Wars. Or Blade Runner or there are such a lot of uh, movies and advertising, uh, yeah, ad ad advertising that was done using Even the uh, old practical movies. effects and yeah, the old movies with like stop motion effects and monsters. Yeah, yeah, moving, yeah, yeah, all that stuff. Mm -hmm. And again, I love toys. I love playing. So now I'm a big boy, but I'm still go to my studio, play with the toys. <laughs> well, play with the toys. <laughs> now you have to put <laughs> quotes yeah, yeah, around yeah, it. Yeah, 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 yeah. There are cameras, so play with the toys. And uh, I just find it like magical. Yeah, no? to have the object in in your hands or build something from nothing yeah yeah that's magical this what, what about you what's your your process from from concept from concept to it's well, done um sometimes i get included in the concepting station that's a lot of fun um for the most part um like when i'm working on a movie poster it's gone through a massive design stage before it gets to me so the studio's already approved it and then i have to blow it up and hunt down all the problems and make everything look real and perfect you know, sometimes when I when I do get in on the concepting stage or whatever like that, like for those Colombian clothing ads or something like that, uh, we just start gathering bits and pieces and figuring out what, look, what would look cool here or there. And like, oh, there's this kind of typical tree for that region. Let's find a shot of that. And like, where would it go? And how we put that together? And like, oh, we need a path through it. Like, hey, I've got some pebble texture in my texture thing. So make that. So I just like the idea of just starting throwing things together and seeing what comes out of that. From our previous conversation, uh, um, a podcast that we had before, you, I was very surprised in hearing you talk about how difficult it was in many ways to do those movie posters because there have been a series of decisions made by other people, um, and then you have to execute it. But it's not just done there. There's still all this kind of politicking that goes on behind the scenes on this. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, um, last fall, I, I think I mentioned I worked on Jumanji stuff. Yeah. And I was at freelancing at that agency for about four or five weeks. You know, the first day, like, okay, we've got these five posters. It's going to be a real big rush to work on. Day and a half in, like, oh, wait, now they're going back. And, you know, they want us to come up with some new looks or whatever. So you work on other stuff for about a week. And like, okay, it's back on. Whoop, nope, it's on hold again. And I'm, I'm not sure exactly what it is. My guess is there's so much pressure to make a film successful that there's a lot of fear-based decisions being made. Yeah, it's all money. And, the, you know, clients very often, like, wait to the very last second to pull the trigger because like it's the only way they can you know get themselves to make the decision it's like you know creatives with a deadline you procrastinate it until the very end and like oh now it'd be really productive right and felix now that you're doing client work are you finding those kinds of pressures as well are clients kind of changing their mind or giving you so much direction and and how do they handle the time frame because there there's always this now let's say not always but now there's truly kind of a rush to get ads done um, what kind of pressures do they put on you from a client point of view? I, I think that I'm very fortunate because I don't have that kind of uh, rush that yeah. you were just talking about. Uh, I don't know. I think that clients uh, seek for my work like they see it more like in an artistic way. So they let, let's say, the artist like make his uh, proposal. But even though sometimes yes, I have to 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 make some some sketches, talk to them, what's the story, uh, how it's gonna look, maybe a quick um, Photoshop um, uh, dummy or something like that. But most of the time, they give me complete uh, liberty to do what I what I want. That's great because my next question yeah, was gonna yeah. was gonna be, do you like working for clients, not, and I, not just on yourself? But it sounds like they're giving you enough liberty where you're working. Yeah, for yourself. I love it. And you know, they are not looking to replace, uh, you know, with a uh, let's say Volkswagen. They are not looking to replace the the real car right. for an advertising campaign. This is like a, a parallel parallel um, project or advertising for right. social media. Maybe sometimes it goes uh, to TV or something like that. But they, they actually want to show that this is uh, being done with the scale scene, with the scale model. It's like a double wow factor. No, You see mm -hmm. the image and you go, oh, okay, wow, it looks nice. But then you see how it was done, the uh, BTS, the behind the scenes, and it's like uh, uh, another wow, no, the double wow, wow factor. So, so your clients are actually wanting to show the, yeah. the BTS. That's yeah, kind yeah. of interesting because yeah, yeah. all of us photographers are constantly pushing our own BTS stuff. We want people to see what we're doing. We want them to know about it, but it's all peer-to-peer. -peer. We're going to our own 
colleagues to see that stuff. But for you, it's it's actually that's the my client, brother. Yeah, the clients mm-hmm. want your whole process to be transparent. Yeah, it's not only about the final images. It's about okay, uh, nice and good uh, final images, BTS photos and a BDS video. But it's it's a I'm selling the content, the, like the whole package, that it's how the, this thing was done. Yeah, that's, that's kind of that's fun. That's problem. a rare, like that that's is. a rare position in I'm this business to be. I'm living my dream. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, that's yeah. awesome. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's all it's yeah. all part of the product yeah. in the result. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not only the phone. You know, because if they just post the final image, well, it's okay. It looks nice, but no, people want to see more. It's uh, brands are uh, trying to connect uh, with new audience or their audience in in different ways. So. You more and more see in movies, advertising, making watches or wallets or all that stuff. What it takes to make them, you know? So they want to see a little bit more. And that's kind of what I do. What's your, what are your, uh, let's start with you. What's, what's your, your footprint like on social media? And are you, do you participate in social media? I, I do. It's something that I'm always trying to um, uh, improve on. You know, um, there's some people that are just natural connectors and they go out and like they got 5,000 followers immediately. You know, and I have friends uh, who shoot a lot and they say like, oh, you know, if I only get 500 likes on this shot, whatever, I know it's not you know, a very good shot. Like, I'd kill to have 500 likes on a shot. So <laughs> I'm still building my social media thing. But um, the more I do, the more I find it brings opportunities and possibilities about things. So it's more about how I come on somebody's radar, you know, either for retouching work or for doing workshops or speaking engagements or whatever you got to come on the radar somehow yeah yeah you want you want 500 likes from people that that you care about seeing your work not necessarily random viewers right right and and i mean sometimes you know my instagram thing will be a mix of sometimes i get you know i'll, I'll do in projects and sometimes it's like just images i was playing around with like in that case it's like oh it's nice to get validation like okay i'm not completely crazy for mm-hmm. thinking it was a cool image. Mm-hmm. So it's sort of a mix of that. Um, but just yeah, trying to figure out how you connect with the people you need to connect with or connect with connectors yeah. to build a awareness. Yeah. Felix, what about you? Do you, uh, you share your work on social media? Yeah, how important of course. is it to you? Yeah, yeah. Social media has been for me very, very important for my growing as a photographer. And uh, because the nature of this kind of photography, it's like very well accepted in, in, in social media. So I'm in Facebook, I'm in Instagram, I'm in Behance, and it's part of my, let's say, marketing strategy is uh, making personal projects, putting them out in social media, and most of the brands, that's the way they look for me. Like, m- m- let's say that my personal projects, some of them has gone viral, kind of viral. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, a lot of uh, photography media and even, you know, um, uh, news media, uh, they have taken these projects and spread the, the word. So that's part of, my, it's part of my strategy to, you know, to say, hey, I'm here. And that's how I'm getting these jobs. Dennis, from your position, and, and this really won't apply to, to, to Felix, do you feel that photographers get too much of the glory for the images that actually get cranked out of your place? Um, nah, for me, it's all about the collaboration. Okay. For that, so, um, you know, I, I learned a long time ago not to let my ego get wrapped up in it. Yeah. You know, in the beginning, I worked with the American Photographic Artists, APA in L.A., and so a lot of discussion about copyright issues and stuff. And you start looking like, you know, a retoucher could make a, a uh, argument about having some share of copyright. But I learned really early on, like, that is a verboten subject yeah. for it. That, so you really have to take your ego out of it. That's going to get you no work. Right. <laughs> and it's, it's about the client's vision, the photographer's vision, and how I help make that come about. And it's a lot of fun. It takes pressure off me because I don't have to be the one with the vision. But I have to understand their vision and, and figure out how to help that come to life and, and maybe, you know, kick it up a notch. I think you're a different, a different situation because it's – this is truly – you're truly known for your art. It's your name and it's inseparable from the images you create. Yeah, I'm lucky. But before I was doing this kind of photography, I was just, you know, regular commercial photographer yeah. in a small town, Cancun, in Mexico, maybe working with big brands, but – big local brands so yeah in many in many cases you don't um, have the recognition that that you would like you know right. 
and uh, I never I I never really care a lot if I was recognized or not. Uh, right. I only wanted you know to work and do what I love. Do you like that people know your your name and it's it's so your name is now very connected to a very specific style. Yeah. Uh, I have to say yes. Yeah, well, <laughs> I'm good. I want you to. Yes. I want that honest yes. answer. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I have to say yes. I, I don't know. I, I, I like to be recognized uh, for doing the, the work that I do, uh, be invited to cool places like this, <laughs> you know, giving lectures, workshops, and right. uh, have commercial uh, projects. Yeah, yeah. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, that is a fun aspect <laughs> about the work. <laughs> yeah. yeah. What does the future look like? The future looks like. Yeah. yeah. What does the future look like? Uh, for for retouching or for, for for yeah. Let's start with retouching. I you know one of the things I've found is um, I see a lot of stuff about uh, on Facebook and social media about uh, people starting out with retouching and there's a lot of people talk about you know working really hard and not making much money and they're they're chasing the lower end. Um, I found there's a lot more reward if you can you know get to the level where you can chase the high end work. So I think that's always going to be around. The lower end is always going to be shifting around and stuff and becoming more and more difficult to make a living at and, you know, be sustainable with. Uh, but I think the high end aspect about it is going to be around forever for that. Uh, you, you don't feel that there's going to be an erosion of the high end work by the people that are doing the lower echelon stuff as they kind of try to nibble at those those bigger jobs and um, are, are pricing lower, let's say. Well, I think or is there a good separation in that business? There's a pretty good separation. And one of the things that happens is, um, like, you know, if photographers is uh, doing a big ad campaign. Mm -hmm. The thing they care most is you're going to create an awesome shot that's going to make a successful campaign. Right. So there is a lot of talk about budgets and stuff they go through. But uh, very often they recognize, like, you know, the retouching side is a very important part of that. And we have to have somebody who's going to be able to turn it around quickly and get the right result without hassle. And so uh, I, I think that's still going to be around and still going on. Uh, what is happening is, you know, very slowly more people are acquiring those skills. And so you start to realize, like, oh, you know, in the movie poster thing, um, there are a lot of younger people in their, you know, like early 20s or whatever. They're starting out as, as uh, junior finishers, and they're getting trained to do this stuff like oh it's great to see more people coming along but the seasoned pros long as you want to do the work it sounds like the difficulty is just always reaching out and connecting with people but that work's always going to be around one of the questions i get a lot from photographers that we bring on the podcast is how do i get started in this stuff someone's watching this and they're looking at both of your work and they're like this is amazing stuff that's the kind of stuff i feel like i'm being called to do did it start with you what are the first steps um well, the, the first steps are working at building your portfolio. And that comes with, you know, working the skills up to a point where you can start, you know, getting cool images to work on. Uh, for me, when I first started out, bought my first computer in 1991. And I thought, I got to figure out how to make this pay because I have a $750 a month lease payment on this computer. <laughs> <laughs> on a Mac 2VX. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. You remember? I do. Um, so, I called up every photographer I knew and offered to do a portfolio piece for him. And you know, you find the ones that that were willing to work with you to build up. You know, like okay, you know, you've gone through a couple of rounds. We've got this where we want it. And then next time, okay, you know, one round we get it where we want it. So you build up that, and you have people who can properly evaluate your work. Social media becomes difficult in that aspect. Because so many, if you post an image and you're looking for critiques, 99% of the people don't have that trained eye. Sure. It's hard to filter out the ones who really you need to listen to and ones who are like, okay, it's, it's great to get the feedback, but you know, it's not really helping one way or the other. For that. So you've got to develop that. You know, so much of it is marketing uh, in terms of reaching out and connecting with the people who can give you the kind of jobs that you want. It's the same thing photographers do. You, know, you don't have to market to 20,000 people. But you got to find the, you know, handful that can give you the jobs you want and any way you can think of to connect yeah, with them. And you, are you connecting with them? Are you knocking on doors? You're finding phone numbers and calling them? Is um, it email? Stalk, you know, I, stalking with a sign outside their <laughs> office? <laughs> it's sort of a mix of a lot of things. I, I, I look at marketing. When I was growing up, there was a story about Johnny Appleseed. I don't know if you guys remember. Oh, sure. He was the guy that, that you know, wandered around the, the 
frontier sowing apple seeds wherever you go. And I've always looked at marketing as playing Johnny Appleseed. You have to just keep throw, sowing seeds everywhere you go, trusting that enough will grow up and become a fruitful tree. Um, you know, I don't have to, I don't physically knock on doors so much anymore uh, because, you know, spread all over the country. So it's kind of hard to go from LA to, to you know, wherever to, sure. to knock on a door. But I do use email. Uh, social media is a great way of, of getting to connect with people, finding out that. Um, you know, I work with uh, the APA group in LA, so I connect with a lot of photographers that way. And then, you know, you develop a reputation, so, you know, they start to hear about you around the country. It's just everywhere you can think of to connect with people. Yeah, yeah. Felix, what about you? Oh, man, I think it's, it's, it's so, so, so many things that I also think it's a, it's a mix of, of things you have to do. But it sounds silly, but first of all, I think you have to be very passionate about what you are doing, you know? Uh, I know so many people that they say that they are photographers, but sometimes they don't take a camera, you know, in maybe two weeks or something like that. And how come? If you want to be a successful photographer, you have to be taking photos, learning new stuff, uh, reaching people, you know, going uh, to workshops or whatever, every day, every single day. So that will be the first thing. And it's, uh, it sounds so silly, but I think it is at, at the last, it, um, that passion will take you uh, to where you wanna, you wanna reach. Yeah. But again, and then today you have uh, the social media, but again, as Dennis said, uh, it's not about just posting there and you know receiving shitty critics, finding like good groups that, that, that can, they can uh, give you good critics, and um, I don't know, going to meet, m meeting people in person, no? go to retreats, go to lectures, go to workshops. Networking is very, very, very important today. And doing personal projects, building your portfolio, I think it's, it's, it's important. If you don't have clients, well, then do your personal projects. For me, it has worked <laughs> just uh, uh, work, uh, great. Mastering your craft, you know, it will take time. It will take time. Sometimes it's five, six, seven, ten years. That's why passion is important, you know. I know you, you two have kind of become fast friends down here. You've been talking quite a bit because uh, you're in the world of, of compositing. Um, how much information are you guys able to share and how much community do you guys build as compositors, as retouchers, in order to um, help one another kind of through the process? In Los Angeles, I have uh, a circle of friends who are retouchers and, and all that. And, uh, you know, that's been a big help for it on uh, social media. Like uh, Carrie Bean and I have a Facebook group, uh, Real Retouching, Learn and Teach. And so we try to share good tips about it. Um, you know, Seth McCullough and Earth, uh, became friends with them at Photoshop World, and we spent all that time geeking out. And the th cool thing about that is when you're, when you're mixing up with peers, sometimes it's like one word or one phrase gets your mind thinking in a different way. Uh, quite a while ago, I was you know, trying to get a handle on frequency separation. I knew the technique, but I wasn't figuring out, like, okay, how's it solving problems I couldn't do otherwise? Dude, we got a tutorial that'll tell you that. Right. <laughs> exactly. It's funny you should say that. Exactly. But this, this, this friend of mine, uh, Danny Ekoff, who was one of the people that helped me learn in the beginning, yeah. um, one day he just said, well, it's really good for wrinkles, and walked away, like, hmm. And all of a sudden, it opened the floodgates, and I saw all these other possibilities I hadn't yeah. seen before. So for me, that's, that's the way learning goes. I'll, I'll listen to uh, tutorials you guys have or you know, tutorials online or whatever like that, sometimes while I'm working, and sometimes it's just one thing. You know, like, I might think 99% of what they're saying is, is baloney, but, like, wait, there's one idea I could pull out and, and do. So that's, for me, how it, how it just keeps growing. Yeah, well, for me, it's a, well, again, a every day I'm learning new stuff, uh, whether if it's uh, something about photography, uh, modeling, digital manipulation, digital art, and tutorials, uh, uh, YouTube, going to a workshop, something like that. I still do. I still do go to, to workshops and lectures and all of that because I think you were you, you will never end, end learning, okay? But yeah. um, sometimes it's, uh, the learning is a process of just uh, trying new things like my, let's say, my method to photograph the scale models have to do a lot of with perception. So I have been trying 
things for about two to three years. What lens is the best one? The, the distances, this you know, a lot of a lot of stuff. And I love to share that. I, I, I share it. I uh, I give lectures or I give workshops. I have some tutorials in 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 Spanish, and uh, I I don't keep secrets. You know, it's because they are all you know. It's not a recipe, but it's I, I just give them a like a guide. The the the, the things that works for me. And uh, for me, what is important is the, the concept, the idea. The, the, the technique is like at the reach of, of, of everyone, no? Today. Right, yeah. yeah. And I want to talk about that a little bit too, the, the, the idea of story behind both of your work. Before you do that, I wanted to ask you, Felix, about, mm -hmm. you mentioned the gear that you're using. Do you have a sort of a, a, a preset sort of set that, that you're building from or do do you approach each job differently and, and say okay I need this camera I need this lens I need these models you know how does how does that piece work yeah it, it depends on, on on the scene you want to make but yes uh, I can say that I have like a preset now I'm working with um, that it's very strange because most of the people think that I'm working with a macro macro lens but no, macro lens is the is, is not good for the <laughs> kind of job that I want to do. So I'm working with a 24 uh, tilt and shift lens. Mm -hmm. Okay, so and you're on a full frame. Yeah, in a full frame in a uh, four uh, 5D Mark IV. Okay, and uh, that's I think that's my the lens that I have been using for my maybe 85, 90 percent of my of my images. Uh, what changes? Maybe the lighting, of course, because the lighting is part of the of the story, of the mood of the of the scene. So, depending on the mood, I will, you know, maybe a harsh light or soft light or a sunset or you know something like that. And uh, almost all my work is done in studio, but sometimes I take the studio outside. You know, when I work in a studio, the 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 backgrounds are replaced in in Photoshop. You know. But sometimes I just want to do everything in one shot. So I actually go uh, at location, put my table, my scene, and capture the, the real, the, the real, the real yeah, background. Yeah, real that's, background. that's really cool. Yeah, working with natural light. Yeah, why not? You know, right? Or mixing. Sometimes I go, you know, doing light painting or using studio strobes or just, uh, you know, uh, sunlight. It all depends, mm -hmm. you know. But yes, I have like my, my it's not a formula and it's not a recipe, but my guidelines, you so know. Go to yeah. your go to gear, mm -hmm. yeah. Did you try using macro lenses to begin with? Because I know uh, clearly it's going to be fall off, right? It's just, it's too shallow. Yeah. It, so did you start off the wrong way before you kind of unlock the secret to your? Your success. So I, I knew that in in order to achieve a great depth of field, that it's it's required to to achieve realism. Yeah. Uh, I couldn't use uh, a, a macro lens, or uh, I have used macro lens where, when the subject is so so small, and uh, but then you have to use this technique called focus tacking. Oh yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Making yeah. tons and tons and tons. Well, now I'm doing again focus tacking, but using the the 24 tilt and shift lens. Yeah. And achieving even more depth of field. So. I love the idea that with the tilt and shift lens, a lot of people use it as a trick to make big things look miniature, mm -hmm. and you're using it to make miniature things yeah, look big. Small, yeah, yeah. I love that. That's brilliant. Yeah, because the, the tilt and shift lens has, you can go up, you can go down. No, right. it, it has, you know, you yeah. can achieve great depth of field or uh, shallow depth of field. Yeah, for those amateurs watching and listening, that is not a cheap lens. It's not a cheap <laughs> lens. <laughs> You're not going to run out and buy that immediately just to but play around. Know, it's a very creative lens. You can do landscape. Even you can do portrait. It's, it's kind of difficult because it's, man, it's a manual lens, mm -hmm. a manual focus. Yeah. But uh, it's a very good lens. It's, it's actually great for food and beverage, too. Food and beverage. Because you yeah, want to yeah, throw yeah. things out of focus. So you've got that ability to, wow. to, sh to put your plane of focus where you want, which is really nice. It kind of makes... Um, a 35 millimeter into a view camera, yeah. which uh, is fabulous. No, it's a great, great lens. Great lens. I use it also for landscape because sometimes for the the, the composites for my backgrounds, I have to go out and and for a, for example for a for the Audi project, they pay me to go to Dubai just to take a lens, <laughs> just oh. to take a landscape shot. Wow. That Sweet. was amazing. I did it with a 24 uh, uh, tilt and shift lens wow. to have all the buildings, you know, like straight. Life is horrible, huh? Yeah, for yeah, me it's horrible. Terrible. <laughs> terrible. I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm yeah, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Traveling all over the world. And terrible. <laughs> okay. 
<laughs> do you guys ever get overwhelmed by Photoshop? Because there's 9,000 ways to do the same thing. Um, and I think we all get stuck in our ways. Is Photoshop just too much sometimes, or is it not enough? Um, for me, it's, it's license to explore. Okay. You know, and one of the things I'll do is um, like make myself experiment with new techniques. Yeah. And sometimes you throw them away, and sometimes like, wow, okay, it took me a while to get a handle on this, but I got a powerful new tool. So I, I love that it's so deep. And if you love learning, uh, working in uh, creating images and with technology and with retouching, you're never going to run out of stuff to learn. Yeah. So it's kind of like, cool, I get to play in the toy store all day. Right. It's one thing that I've observed with retouchers of late, um, particularly with Seth and Earth and, and you and a lot of others. I'm amazed at how much you guys experiment. And you do geek out. I don't know. that Retouchers seem to geek out more than anybody else in the business. <laughs> These guys will be, talk in such cerebral, ethereal ways for a long time. You guys really geek out on the process, which I think is cool. You guys do push each other. Yeah. Yeah, well... Earth is a whole other level of geeking out. Yeah, he's, <laughs> he's pretty brilliant. Are there are there any missing features in in Photoshop that you wish Adobe would just throw in there for you? Um, yeah, you know, for me, there are a lot of little things I wish Adobe would do. Like, um, especially when I'm working on a complex composite, I love to start off with the simplest tool. You know, for me, retouching techniques are like Lego blocks, and you just keep rearranging the basic blocks. So the simplest tool is a spot healing brush. But if you have a complex composite, you have a choice for sampling all layers or just that layer. So I'd have to turn off everything on top of it for that. And all the other brushes have a this layer and below sampling. Like, I'd love to have that. Mm. Uh, you know, little things like that. Uh, yeah. One thing that was a big help with the latest version is if you have a pen path, now you can change the color of the path so it's more visible. Uh, that really helps when you're teaching a workshop because you know, if you've got a one pixel gray line going around and it's up on a projector, like no, nobody can see the path line for it. So, you know, it's stuff like that. But there aren't any real major things that think, oh, I'm dying for this or I'm dying for that. Yeah. Felix, what about you? Anything missing in Photoshop? Oh, I, I, no. For me, I think Photoshop is big enough yeah. <laughs> to, 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 to explore. Uh, in fact, I think my retouching or digital art is really really so simple no? uh, and it's getting simpler because i'm trying to do all in um, the most in camera so for me it's just great photoshop has this uh, feature where where you can do focus stacking but it's it's not really for that so that's the only thing that i may miss to do inside photoshop that i have to go and use another software but basically i you know it's, it's too big for me so it's great yeah, yeah. do you use the helicon Software to yeah yeah that's that's yeah. the one that's and, amazing and it's great. Helicon is Helicon Helicon Helicon, yeah. Helicon? Helicon? I don't know the right way to pronounce it it's but he Helicon, Helicon is how I always yeah. pronounced it and it's yeah. great I used it's it all the time song. on food believe it or not because um, I would focus stack a lot I I want food always looks good when things are kind of soft and ethereal but so you want to shoot pretty shallow and being on a medium format things are naturally really shallow but the food will actually be too shallow um, so I'll focus stack and then I will go back to the very first image in that stack, and that becomes my background. So I'm bringing oh, the food in, and maybe the plate a little bit, and kind of yeah. cheating and kind of messing with the, that reality. I'm, the viewer can't tell, but I certainly do, and it makes for a much stronger image. I know my clients really like that kind of soft ethereal look while keeping most of the food sharp. Uh, did, did you awesome. did a lot of uh, stacking, like 60, 70? Oh no, 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 no. I'm talking. No, I'm nowhere near that realm. Ah, I would, okay. I would focus stack maybe. I bet eight frames is the most ah, I would okay, do, okay. Um, but that's enough to bring the food in. And I, yeah, I've never had to go 80. But I tell you what, Heliacon made a huge difference in my life when that came around because mm. focus stacking in Photoshop was pretty problematic. Yeah. Heliacon, it's just instant. So it's beautiful. For those yeah, that yeah, don't yeah. know what focus stacking is, what the technique of focus yeah. stacking is, describe it. Well, so focus stacking, it, it, it's a technique where you need greater depth of field than you can get with your lens. It's just, it's not achievable. So you will be moving, there are two ways to do it. You can move the lens by rotating the barrel to change your focus, which is also going to change the size of your image, right? Um, as you're doing that, you're changing those relationships. So focus stacking can be a little bit difficult. Now, in Photoshop, you can just run focus stack or in Helicon, and it's going to look at all those edges, and it's going to line them up. The other way to do focus stacking is to actually move the camera. Um, and we're talking, like, really incremental 
movements. There's a slider um, that is basically all completely metered and a little dial that you will just rotate. Um, they also have it automated now. There are automated systems where you can set the distance that you want your camera to travel and how many steps you need it to take. Hit a button and it will go. So they really do have to be aligned because you can get horrible results when things aren't lined up as you're changing that, that focus. Um, but it's the only way to get certain things into how many focus sacks do you do? Are you normally I'm between fifty to seventy. Fifty to seventy <laughs> yeah. captures to yeah. stack. And you said yeah. that with a straight face too. You know why? <laughs> and it blew my mind. I can't believe I'm like seven or eight. Because was there, there are some some objects are not too small, but they are small enough. And I'm not only like capturing the the object, but also the terrain. You know, yeah. the first planes and middle plane with the, the the model and the farther planes of the scene. So there are a lot of uh, a lot of shots. You know, but with with Helicon, it's 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 so 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 fast. It's really and fast. And actually, I do the focus stacking until now manually. I just move the ring manually yeah. in small 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 amounts. Right. I don't use. I actually did it manually all the time yeah. too. And this may sound. Uh, janky or or jury rigged, but it's the way I did it. Um, I was on the Hasselblad with the 120 millimeter, and what I would do is I'd put two strips of gaff tape, one on the barrel of the lens that doesn't do move, and Your marks. one yeah one yeah, that yeah. on the barrel that's moving. And I'd have my start mark and my end mark. I would know what what's the last point I want to bring into focus and what's the first point. Um, and I'd start at one, and and I would divide this out. I would know okay, I'm shooting at f. Five, you know, five, six, so I can only go this far. You divide out that number, that distance, um, and just make a slight movement with that lens barrel each time. And it's rep it's very repeatable. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's janky, but honest to God, it's cheap because you're using one piece of gaff tape that's about an inch and a half, two inches long that you've torn down the middle and yeah. stuck on your lens barrel. Yeah. It's a lot cheaper than buying the computer program or um, you know, the, the rigs that you can get that fit on, on top of your tripod to, to make all those incremental movements. I, I think yeah. if you are like into jewelry or something like that, that you do focus stacking like every day, yeah. maybe buying that. Uh, oh yeah, it would make a huge it. difference. Yeah, because Absolutely. you don't, you just push a, push a button and that's it. Yeah. You know? But if you do it like once a week or once a month, you can do it manually and. My friend okay. Tony Roseland and I would get in this debate all the time because we would both focus tech and he loves to spend money on equipment. <laughs> so he would buy all those things. I'm like, dude, I'm using gaff tape on it. <laughs> yeah. on, on my Hasselblad. <laughs> I, I love your solution. Why not? You know, I, I, and I will admit, I was one of those photographers for a long time that was very. Um, attracted to i was seduced by all things photographic the toys the tools it, you just wanted to own it all and buy it all mm -hmm. um and luckily i was a position in a position where that wasn't a, a stretch it was it was fine but it's really unnecessary and and i've really come full circle with it it really doesn't matter the, the gear that i have i just need i need something and i can figure out how to make that something work how to achieve my end goal um, I don't have to have all the fancy gear. I don't have to have a million power packs and uh, a million lights and, and all that kind of stuff. It's better to keep it simple. Yeah. Yeah. I think it actually makes your creative process better too. When you're not distracted by all the gear, when you're not distracted by the glitz and you're, you're keeping it to simple, realistic things, it mm -hmm. actually makes your creative process better. In design, it's making the more with the less. Yeah. You know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I have a question for all three of you guys, actually. So uh, I'm not a compositing artist, retoucher, but I've heard these terms thrown around interchangeably. Photographer, artist, retoucher, compositing artist. Which is the right term to describe this career field? That's a good question. Um, that's why I ask it. That's a good question. <laughs> <laughs> I would say now it's composite artist. I, would, I think that maybe in years past... Um, but not photographer. Retoucher covered in... Well, I'll, I'll make a distinction. I'm a photographer. I'm not a retoucher. I will happily turn over my files and give direction to Dennis or Seth or anybody else. I, I have no desire to sit at the computer that long. I'm way too antsy to sit at a computer for days on it. I don't know how you people do it. You're out of your mind. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think I'm probably more of a rarity. I think most photographers also do all of their own retouching, or at least a lot, particularly when they're, when they're starting out. There's a certain point where people get to, to that level where they do turn it over because you're on to the next job. Um, so for me, it's clearly there's a clear distinction between photographer 
and retoucher. Um, I think See, in many the ways, there's, there's also a clear distinction, though, between retoucher and composite artist. Thank you. Yeah, because that's where I go. My brain goes to when I think retoucher, like, Dennis, you and I were talking about this last night. Uh, when I think retoucher, I think taking wrinkles out, you know, right. remove that telephone pole from the, the person's head. I think that I think of that as retouching. When I think compositing artist, I think surrealism, art that, or, or you know, the digital alchemy. Digital yeah, yeah, bringing bringing to life something from nothing from a, from disparate parts. That's what I think of compositing. But there's there's an overlap there, I'm hearing. Yeah, well, I, I think maybe one of the things that's changed about composite artists, and, and then I'll let you guys jump on this. I think that you touched on something in saying surrealism. I think composite artistry now no longer lives in just the surreal. Mm. Composite artistry is, or composite imaging is in many ways really, it's making something look real if you want it to. I think there's now a choice that lives in composite photography of fantasy, surreal, uh, intentionally unreal versus realistic. Where before that, I don't think that was as possible. Oh, that makes sense. That's, that's it, a do you good guys agree with that, or, or, yeah, or I, am I, I wrong? I definitely agree. Um, you know, I was taught early on, retouchers' work should be invisible. So, right. and you know, the guy I learned how to do it from in the darkroom, William Warren. Uh, that was his mantra. It's like it should nobody should imagine that you put this together from different parts. Uh, particularly with retouching, if somebody looks at a shot and like, wow, that's great retouching. That means the photographer wasn't getting the recognition he needs or whatever. So, like, you know, my work should be invisible and, and should be just like, like about a plastic the story. surgeon, right? <laughs> you don't want to say, wow, <laughs> that's some great work you had done. Yeah, 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 totally. <laughs> exactly. Great. That's a great <laughs> analogy. It is. It is. So I'm a digital plastic surgeon. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Maybe that could be a, a new business card, a new title, digital uh -huh. plastic surgeon. It's like got a ring to it. Fantastic. All right. And where should people go find your work to know more about what you do on a daily basis? Um, my website is DunbarDigital.com. Yeah. Um, and then I do have an Instagram thing. I occasionally post it. I'm not as good at that as I should be. So that's yeah. just Dennis Dunbar. Yeah. And then I'm on Facebook as Dennis Dunbar. I try to keep it simple. Yeah. Smart. <laughs> Felix, how about you? Where do you want people to go to check out well, your site? They can just search like uh, Hernandez. Yeah. Last, na last name, Hernandez, Dreamfography. <laughs> Dreamfog? Oh, look at you. you That's came a up, word. Yeah, he yeah. came up with his whole new it's, title. It's terrible, terrible. But, you know, <laughs> it's out there and I cannot do any, anything. You can't more. go backwards now. Yeah. Yeah. You've, you set yourself up with this yeah. and now you, you can't go push back. push it and make it part of the language <laughs> now. That's it. Dream, dreamfography, okay? So, I'm in Instagram, in Facebook, and in Behance, and my personal webpage, dreamfography, hernandezdreamfography.com. Okay, it's a little bit hard, but... <laughs> Fabulous. Be careful what wordplay you start with because you might be stuck with it. Yeah, 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 that's uh, <laughs> uh -huh. it's a dangerous But that's a good thing. one. I, I like yours. Yeah. yeah. Double-edged sword. Uh, yeah. Fantastic. Thanks for the conversation, guys. ProEDU is now unlimited. Get access to every single tutorial. Sign up at ProEDU.com today. Limitless potential, mofos. The dude definitely abides. This podcast is officially over. Catch you a little later on down the trail, dude. Never stop learning. Learning.